there is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show and to, to, to tonight's First Five. I'm going to guess most people listening to the show tonight did tune in and listen or else read later online the speech that President Donald Trump made in Warsaw this past Thursday, July 6th. And I want to talk about that in the first five tonight, not just because it was a stellar speech, but because of what it really says about the depth with which he sees the issues in this country and sees the issues in the world and that he's willing to take a stand for speaking up for Western civilization, the kind of points he made, I think they're just really important to dive into. So that's what I want to do in our first five tonight. If you haven't read this speech or heard it, I urge you to go to the Facebook page for America Can We Talk, and it's linked there, or our website, americacanwetalk.org, and it's linked there. So here was President Trump over in Warsaw, Poland. And first, he did a tremendous job giving tribute to the people of Poland over the centuries, really, as a people who were committed to their faith, to freedom, who were willing to speak up and stand up. And he gave numerous uh, historical recountings of their actions. But one thing he said, I think, actually captured not just, it wasn't just the most important line in the speech, but it really was an important sentiment felt in America throughout the 2016 election cycle, and that was this. The fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. Do we have the confidence in our values to defend them at any cost? Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our borders? Do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? That was really the issue in the 2016 election cycle. You can talk all you want about the candidates and who were the 17, the Republican side, and all sorts of details and various policies. But the core feeling in millions of Americans who turned out to support President Trump was that our whole nation, our Western civilization, was we we were losing it. We're losing a grasp on it. We were losing uh, our culture of freedom. We were the country was tipping over towards socialism or over the cliff to socialism, over the cliff to permitting big government control of everything in our society. We're driving God out of, out of public life in our country. And there were many, and our whole culture of liberty and just really the basic idea in America that we Americans know America is exceptional. And it's not exceptional because of race, ethnicity, or anything like that. It is not exceptional because of the physical geography on Earth we happen to occupy. The entire reason America is exceptional is our values, the values on which our nation was founded. And that's the entire purpose of my show, as I tell you so frequently. I wouldn't be on radio except what I want to be doing as ardently as I can every week is talk about the unique greatness of America and the responsibility everybody has to speak up for America in our daily lives, to recognize when we're losing our those ideals. In fact, one thing that President Trump did in his speech, he went through some of the ideas he was tying to this notion of the West, a Western civilization. He talked about, we celebrate our ancient heroes. We embrace the timeless traditions and customs. We seek to explore and discover brand new frontiers 
We reward brilliance. We strive for excellence. We cherish inspiring works of art that honor God. We treasure the rule of law. We protect the right to free speech and free expression. We empower women as pillars of our society and of our successes. We put faith and family, not government and bureaucracy, at the center of our lives. We debate everything. We challenge everything. We seek to know everything so that we can better know ourselves. And above all, we value the dignity of every human life, protect the rights of every person, and share the hope of every soul to live in freedom. And the reason I'm saying all this to you folks is I know during the campaign, myself included, President Trump was not my favorite candidate. But we are in a place in 2017 where he is the president, and this speech was, I mean, believe me, the left in America listened to this, and they did not like it at all because what they're hearing was a, a profound rebuke of most of what the American leftist stands for in this country today, a profound undercutting of the left's values and views. President Trump also commented, and he actually went to something historic in um, in Poland and talked about the June 1979 speech by Pope John Paul in Victory Square, where one million people in Poland turned out. And the refrain, and he, the way President Trump said it was very eloquent, he talked about the people turned out to listen to this pope and that they suddenly raised their voices in a single prayer. One million Poles, Polish people, Poles, saying three simple words, we want God. And, you know, I want you to name for me, I put this out on Twitter, I'll say it to you, name for me one Democrat who would have read this speech. One Democrat in this country who would value Western civilization, claim it for what it is, speak just gratefully and happily and, and, and confidently about the goodness and the unique greatness of America. He was contrasting it with the culture created by Islam. He was contrasting it to the culture created by big government Bureaucrats. He had a great segment of the speech talking about the idea that in America we have to fight to preserve a variety of things. He listed them in the speech, and they include uh, very simple things like we're going to preserve the rule of law. We are going to preserve our culture, our families, our traditions. And I'm getting to this tonight to say this. This is the battle, really, that we have in America today. Do enough people understand, regardless whether you love Trump, hate Trump, support him or not, do you understand that's the battle we're in, in America today? We're in the battle to holding on to America's unique greatness, and Trump talked about how to do it. This is Debbie Georgettis, America Can We Talk. Don't go away. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. 
We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I love my roundtables, and tonight in the roundtable, I have Wade Miller and Lori Medina here. We also have a very special guest in the studio tonight, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. It's good to be here. Glad you're here. And we, uh, in the next segment, I want to dive in and talk with you about North Korea and have you tell us what we should do. Right now, I want to finish with uh, this, not just the... Uh, the um, Amazing speech that President Trump made, but really what ha- is happening in uh, G20, the G20 summit and, and kind of the signals about where we are in the world. But I have a few clips from Trump's speech that I believe Greg Lindemood, our completely wonderful board operator, has ready. And so can we hit uh, clip one? Finally, on both sides of the Atlantic, our citizens are confronted by yet another danger, one firmly within our control. This danger is invisible to some, but familiar to the Poles. 
the steady creep of government bureaucracy that drains the vitality and wealth of the people. The West became great, not because of paperwork and regulations, but because people were allowed to chase their dreams and pursue their destinies. The reason I love that quote, and then you can all comment if you want, but the reason I love that is he is equating the growth of government to the destruction of freedom, which is really the core reason people get upset about the growth of government. I mean, he's saying things. I'm sure the left is just having a fit over them. So any comment on on that clip? Well, there's a great quote. uh, I can't remember who said it, but he said, a free people are not equal and an equal people are not free. And that's That's one of the things that we really need to come to understand, because when you look at the progressive socialist movement and government, and they're facing it in Europe with the European Union and, of course, the United Nations, and we have it going on here. When they try to make everyone the same, then you truly do live that lose that basic premise of Western civilization, which is which is freedom. And old Europe has forgotten, you know, the lessons of John Locke, the classical philosopher that talked about life, liberty and property. So I don't know what's happening in in old Europe, but Eastern Europe, New Europe, is really becoming the people that understand what liberty and freedom is all about. Because they didn't have it so many decades recently. Yeah, just recently, yeah. Oh, I love it. Lori or Wade, anything on that one? You know, one of the big attack lines on this, and I think even the left recognizes that this was a well-received speech and that a lot of people are excited about it. And so they're saying, you know, of course he didn't write this. He's just reading it off. And, I, I, you know, that's irrelevant. He read it. And he gave the speech. Obama never would have said these words, even if they were written for him. He never would have defended Western civilization. I think that's the big takeaway, and that's the the biggest change. We're probably going to listen to some other clips. Is that he? It was a, a valiant and very tough defense of Western values and Western civilization, which we have been lacking for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, no one wants to defend Western values because. Doesn't that make us racist if yeah. you say that? <laughs> that um, is. Oh, I'm glad I you mean, said that. That was a statement. Some college professor came right. out right afterwards to right. defend Western civilizations, to defend racism. Right. right. Okay. It's, it's a form of bigotry. Yes. Bigotry. That's what, that's what he said. I kind of like Western civilization. Well, you know what? <laughs> As if uh, ideas are I don't want to go to Darfur based. or well, anything. Being I a woman, like I really like Western civilization. Yeah, I like it. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, I mean, I, I, I think it was an incredible speech and and absolutely right, Wade. Who cares who wrote it? He spoke it. Uh, those were the words that he delivered to, um, I believe, a grateful nation, Poland. And they've been such fantastic allies. And, you know, they were so beat up during the Obama years. And so I loved it, the fact that we as a nation, that Trump administration felt like it was important to give them some good old American love. Yes. And And his opening statement was, we love Poland. We love the Polish people. And, you know, I love that that was his first words of the speech. I know. And he also was, they had people chanting Donald Trump. Yes. The Mm -hmm. masses in the audience. That was so good. And And remember, uh, we, during the Obama years, we were actually sabotaging Poland, pulling out missile defense systems, making deals against their best interest. Yep. Yep. Okay. I want to, um, if we could, Greg, hit clip two. Our adversaries, however, are doomed because we will never forget who we are. And if we don't forget who we are, we just can't be beaten. Okay. I love that line. Who we are as, as you know, not a race, not ethnicity, but people who love liberty and Western civilization's values. And I, I love that. I mean, he's, he's really refuting the left's 
endless effort to make a moral equivalency with all values, all views, Mm -hmm. all backgrounds. He's saying, no, we're better, and I'm proud of it. Well, it's moral equivalency and also revisionist history. Because when you look at some of the things, look at what just happened in New Orleans. Okay, you can say what you want about the Civil War, but it happened. And going out and taking down monuments of, you know, the Confederate generals is not going to change anything. So if we continue to go down this path of there was nothing that happened prior to 19, I don't know, 65 and the Great Society programs of Lyndon Johnson, then we don't fundamentally understand who we are. And then someone can come along and say, I'm going to fundamentally transform American people, cheer and clap, because they don't know from whence they're being transformed. I love that point. And it reminds me of something that point people have made. If you don't understand Western civilization at all, history began when you were born. Like the year you came along and what you've seen in your life, but but what Trump was getting at, we were actually talking uh, on the break about this, how the concept of Western civilization, the evolution of thought, the growth of thought, the valuing of ideas and the the, uh, exchange of ideas, all those things that are among the hallmarks of Western civilization, if you don't know that and you just... Think history began when you were born. You think that our country uh, is the way it's painted in many public schools. Uh, in fact, there was I want to hit on this Western civilization thing because we were. It was a really good point. You know, Western civilization was a standard course taught in I think pretty much every college, and it, it really. I actually printed out one of the. Um, I'm not going to read the whole syllabus, but what you used to learn about Western civilization was essentially the, the history of Westernized thought, the growth of thought out of Renaissance. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I won't read all. Okay. There's 16 chapters. I won't read them all right now. And this was online course for Western civilization. But the point was, you knew when you left college, you kind of knew where America came from. If you replace, and they were ideas. If you replace that with women's studies, black studies, Asian studies, and you know feminist theory and LGBT confusion, what you're doing is balkanizing the population before they've ever stepped foot out of college, instead of uniting us around what created Western civilization. No, but that's the the whole basis of the left's identity politics uh, mantra. It is not about seeing yourself as American. You're a subset of something, and and that's how they go at it. And and so if and this is not just in colleges. I mean, it's starting to get down in high schools and even at the middle school level. So you've heard me say it before. I think the most important elected position in the United States of America is school board. Yeah, because we have got to get back to educating and not indoctrinating. You know, this same, uh, love that point, the same thing that was talking about the overall notion of the Western civilization courses really helping be a unifying, especially among the educated people in America. That two things interesting. Did you realize Jesse Jackson led the Stanford protest in 1987? Protests and chant, the chant was, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western culture's got to go. The Western culture that gave him the freedom to speak, right. the freedom to lead, the freedom to disagree with the government. So he was a leader in that. But the other thing, they had a good quick summary of what, because if people listening, if you never took Western civilization, you don't really know what that course might have taught. They taught things, valuing things like individual rights, the rule of law, minority rights, free markets, the search for truth. I mean, just the, the kind of concept of searching for and learning in society was what made Western culture so uh, able to grow and blossom and, and really be kind of the leader of the, of the free world. Anybody? Well, <laughs> you know, I think it'd be very interesting to go to Reverend Jesse Jackson and ask him who Martin Luther was. Founder of the Lutheran Church? Yeah. 
Yeah, but I mean, more importantly, is that Martin Luther really understood what individual rights and freedoms mm-hmm. were about. Mm-hmm. Because if if you could not have the individual salvation, you know, the ability to go to Jesus Christ, if you had to go through the Catholic Church and pay all these indulgences, kind of like you have to pay a lot of taxes to government, then we would never have gotten here if he had not nailed those 95 theses. Martin Luther, with the Protestant Reformation, I mean, he started an incredible, you know, cycle that enables us to be where we are today. And if we're not discussing that, if we're not talking about it, then, yeah, everyone thinks, well, it's just a street down in South Dallas or, you know, through Atlanta or whatever. So it is so important that we have these discussions and we have political elected leaders that talk about these things. And, and that's what I really champion Donald Trump for doing because he reminded us about Western civilization and our values. Love that, too. We're just about 40 seconds away from our next break. But I do want to say, you know, this, again, I urge you to go to the website, americakemmytalk.org. But really, you know, this this radio show, I, I spent a lot of time thinking this last week over July 4th holiday, Independence Day, and hopefully all of you had a great Independence Day break. But I hope you also spend some time thinking about what made America so exceptional, so great, so unique, what our Declaration of Independence actually really meant. Um, because I, and I, I had a meeting recently in Dallas with some people who are very much on the left, and they would admit they're on the left, but they're painting their picture, their mental picture of the Declaration of Independence, as they said to me, was it's a bunch of old white guys talking about their own values and their own, their own lives, not talking about America. And so it didn't matter to me. So on that note, we're going to zip off to our break, and when we come back, we'll talk with Alan West and Wade Miller and Lori Medina. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. 
So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back to American Community Talk. I'm so glad you've tuned in. I'm Debbie George Addis. My right view roundtable here tonight with me, Lori Medina and Wade Miller. And we have in studio our friend and great guest, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. So I want to go back just a few more things about this, both about the speech that President Trump made in Warsaw, which really kind of laid the groundwork for, kind of took a stand or drew a line in the sand and said, you know, this is what we are, Western civilization. There's one last clip I was going to ask Greg to play for us, which is clip four. Just as Poland could not be broken, I declare today for the world to hear that the West will never, ever be broken. Our values will prevail. Our people will thrive. And our civilization will triumph. Okay, I just love the strength of that. And, you know, it was good because he didn't just bellow America. He really laid out. These are the kind of things we stand for. This is what Western civilization means. We support life. In fact, Lori was commenting there was on the break. There was a, a great emphasis on life and treasuring every life. And so I just I just love it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, that clip actually followed a very long description that he had about uh, the Warsaw Uprising. And how that they stood up, uh, you know, and defended themselves. And he went through a law. A big part of his speech was him describing almost like, you know, situation and battle by battle of how Poland has overcome and how they have had to endure uh, through all these difficult times in the last hundred years or so. 
Um, and and he described the close relationship between America and Poland. So this is what that that clip was following on. So it was even more powerful if you heard the whole. I mean, you can't play the whole thing, Debbie. But but <laughs> but so for our listeners, that was what led up. You know what yeah. was what that followed on, and what made it so powerful was that we will not be overrun. We will overcome. Uh, we will stand strong as far as Western civilization, as far as Poland, and as far as America. And, and this was, uh, you know, I think very important because Trump is very well known for his nationalist rhetoric and pro-America. Mm-hmm. But this was different yes, because it wasn't just about America. Mm-hmm. It was about our ideas, yes. which are, are universal, really. Mm-hmm. And, and those ideas uh, of Western civilization must uh, uh, win out. Uh, through our history and, and into the future in, in order f- uh, for the world to have, I think, a future that uh, values liberty and human uh, human rights and natural rights and, and all of the things that we think of as being the bedrock of our, our civilization. I thought he did a good job. That Your point, Wade, I want to just jump on it to say I thought it was a fabulous opportunity President Trump took to give some definition and flavor to his populism, nationalism thing, because I actually could understand during the campaign what he meant. He wasn't just xenophobically disliking anyone who isn't American. He was tr- he didn't speak in the most articulate way every time about I- I'm talking about our values, our culture of liberty, our exceptionalism. But he made it clearer here that this that this nationalism, if you don't like that word, pick your own, this patriotism, love of America means something specific and it's idea based and it's good. Well, but after eight years of hearing the complete opposite of that, okay, yeah. I mean, people just kind of, what? And I mean, we can be happy and proud about being who we are. You know, it's so interesting to me because when you look at a lot of these liberal cities, they go out and they cheer for their football team or their basketball team. I mean, you know, the people out there in the Bay Area, one of the most liberal places, you know, in the United States of America, out there cheering for the Golden State Warriors to be NBA champions. But yet they don't want their own country to be a champion. Mm -hmm. And that is the incredible juxtaposition that I cannot understand. Mm -hmm. You know, when Seattle, when the the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, they should give it back. I mean, (laughs) because they don't believe in that. Why are you going to that stadium and cheering Mm -hmm. to to be number one, to be a one percenter? And so all of those values, all of those things that we really honor, you know, getting out there and working hard and, and, and fighting to be the, the, the best that you can be, individual spirit, indomitable will, they don't want it for our country, but yet, for whatever reason, they like to see it on a sports team. That is so, I had never thought about that. And well, that's why you bring me in. That's why you bring me in. We love having you here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, flavor, I, I a little flavor. <laughs> but, you know, kind of related to that, though. So we had um, we had this whole speech we've been talking about. President Trump gave in Warsaw on Thursday. And then the very next day, he went to Hamburg, Germany. And I think G20 started on Friday. So he was right over into Hamburg, Germany in the G20. And I, I, we're, we're, I was telling our, my buddies here on the break, I used to watch this, and, and there were always these big protests and think, what are these people protesting? I mean, why are these people so aggravated at the G20? And the G20, very simply, is it's a meeting of, it's actually the 19 most, most uh, prosperous nations plus the EU, 20 economically strong nations that bring uh, both the leaders and their, their kind of finance people to talk about how to help the world, how to make financial stability in the world. They're not talking about how to steal money from poor people. They're, they're talking about how to help the world. But every time they have it, there's these massive protests. Again, there were in Hamburg this year. And they, the protesters, sometimes you see them, the person with a you know camera and the microphone saying, so what are you here protesting? It's just like when we used to, we talked about this a couple of years ago, the Occupy Wall Street. 
They have no idea. Someone told them to be mad. But they really don't know. But if you actually find them, my, the thinkers behind it, a lot of it's just flat out anti-capitalism, flat out, flat out which is anti-freedom. That's what they're. So most of them are anti-freedom, anti-capitalists. You know, pro take over the world with all the environmental extremism that they advocate. I mean, it is just a it's a mindless demand to not be free. No, it's it's pretty incredible when you have these young people that are out there protesting the innovation, the ingenuity that allows them to stand there and take selfies of themselves <laughs> while they're protesting. I mean, that's the most oxymoronic thing. And and when I think of the word oxymoron, the the emphasis is on moron. So. <laughs> Well, I love that North word, Korea. Right? North Korea did develop all of the iPhones and, and, and computer technology that we have. That's a good of point. Of course they yeah. did. Yeah, of course they because did. Because they have so much. At least that's what I read on you know their state. The on Kim Jong Un said, yeah. right? No, in a that's proclamation. Was Venezuela. <laughs> that after he was Chavez, <laughs> or could have been Cuba. That was the other choice. Okay, and kind of related to this, so I want to hit this other point just to come back to America for a minute. So, Mayor De Blasio, of New York City. <laughs> Mayor de Blasio, elected by his people, uh, mayor of New York City, he was over at G22. So here's President Trump representing America and freedom and whoever else was uh, there and his whole team over at G20 in Hamburg. And Mayor de Blasio went over to support Trump. No, Mayor de Blasio went over there to join the protesters, to join the anti-freedom, anti-capitalist protesters. You know, it was amazing. Uh, First of all, they had just had a female police officer, mother of three, assassinated. In New York City. And he skipped her funeral. Mm -hmm. The second thing was there were over 500 uh, police cadets that were graduating. And he skipped their graduating ceremony. So he went there and locked arms with people that were injuring police officers. Right. To the tune, I think uh, 16 were injured. Uh, And so you just wonder what mentality says, I'm going to leave this city at a critical time when a police officer has been assassinated these police officers who are sworn to go out and protect their service, they're about to graduate. But that's not important. I'm going to go over and stand with the people that are throwing rocks and Molotov cocktails at police officers. And, and, and he yeah. thinks that this is not abhorrent behavior. It's astonishing. He is locking arms, really, with the anti-American forces because a lot of the G20 protesters this time and previously, they're pretty much anti-American. And I want to come back to America to say this is really symbolic of the American political scene. He is not alone as a Democrat leader in being absolutely opposed to the ideas America stands for. He is opposed to the, the outcome of capitalism and freedom. He is opposed to He's the, the mayor of New York City, right. the epicenter of, you know, of capitalism. capitalism. And he's going Free markets. Over, yeah. And he's going over there to protest against it. And so if you think, listeners, if you think that your Democrats are the ones who stand for the little guy or the Democrats, the one who really care about people, understand this is I mean, this is one of the strongest, highest ranking mayors in the country, political positions of a Democrat held in this country since they can't seem to hold many offices, but they do hold New York City's mayorship. And his choice was to go over and support the people attacking America. I, I think it's very symbolic of where we stand in this country, where the political parties stand. And, and that's not to say that everything that the G20 does is great and awesome. There is some globalism. There is some redistribution of wealth that goes on in these sure. meetings sure. that they're talking about. But and, 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 you know, if protesters want to go over there and peacefully assemble and, and discuss ideas, that's one thing. But 
you know, the, the bulk of these protesters are there because they want more of the bad policies that we should be opposing. And they and they do so in not a civil way. They do so in a very violent way, in a very uncivilized way. Uh, they're just trying to rip apart the fabric of our civil society and, and to, to hasten its demise. Yep, absolutely. Well, you know, um, I couldn't agree more. And this whole G20 thing, I hope you do read some of the things on our Facebook page. Just, just Google yourself and read some of this because when they can ask protesters, what are you here for? Some of them will say, well, I really love the environment and I want clean air or I'm for here for LGBTQ rights or I'm here to represent minorities. But there's never any logical, but how does your presence here, what are the positions you're arguing, what are you opposed to that this group is doing that will advance your cause? They don't know. Well, or or uh, burning down a storefront, uh, going down a street and uh, damaging everything in their sight. How does that benefit their cause? Well, according to Paul Krugman, that's actually economic development. He did not say that. Did he really? <laughs> I mean, he, Paul oh, Krugman actually did say that the, 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 the oh, attacks on 9-11 helped uh, benefit the economy. Okay. And on that note, we got to zip off to yes. break. Don't go away. Got to pass the... America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition in the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. 
They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back. I'm so glad you've tuned in tonight. This is Debbie George Addis and America Can We Talk. I have Lori Medina and Wade Miller here in my right view round table. And we have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West in studio. And he's been here a lot. And so I don't want to spend a long time in the introduction. And probably everyone listening, uh, if you are a conservative activist, you have met and um, listened to uh, Alan West speak. But I do want to say a couple of things about him just to for the context of what I want to ask him about. And, you know, a lot of people have served in the military, and I'm grateful for every single one of them. I do want to talk about Lieutenant Colonel Allen West's service just a bit. He joined the U.S. Army in 1983, but prior to that, he was a junior reserve officer in the Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps program, which was high school? That was high school. That was high school. Started so, in 1976. Just think of how many kids you know in high school who do that. Just think about that. In high school, already motivated to love America and try to help America. Uh, anyway, so he finished. He uh, joined the Army in 1983. I do want to mention he graduated from the University of Tennessee. Go Big Orange. Okay, fine. Uh, then he also received a master's degree in political science from Kansas State University. Go Cats. Okay, and got one more here. And the Wait, U- ways of Jayhawks. I had to <laughs> rock chalk. Yeah. Oh yeah, rock chalk. Yeah. Only in basketball season. And then the last one is he also earned a Master of Military Arts and Sciences degree from the U.S. Army Command and General Staff Officer College in Political Theory and Military History and Operations. And I say all that because I think many of you know listening that whenever people hear Lieutenant Colonel Allen West speak, they always know they're hearing someone who is patriotic, has actually walked the walk and doesn't just talk the talk, who loves this country, who has fought, but who's also a student of war, a student of military operations, a student of how do we keep our country safe. That should be a major, how to keep our country safe. But So the reason I laid all that out was I want to talk about, we're all watching as this latest uh, threatening incident has occurred with North Korea, and they released, they sent, which I think was their first inter- ICBM? ICBM, first one, yeah. An intercontinental ballistic missile, which of course... Uh, depending what kind of weapon it had been carrying, could have been very harmful to America. And I think a lot of people, and and frankly, other enemies of theirs around the world. So we're all watching. 
North Korea, and we're watching um, a just, if you paid attention at all, Kim Jong-un is not mentally stable. He's just says irrational things. So I would like to know as a student of war, I mean, how do you decide, how do you figure out when are we being Neville Chamberlain and sitting back and, and letting things develop or, or, or other things we can do to shut him down before we get into a really dangerous situation? Well, that's the basis of President Obama's uh, policy of strategic patience. That really, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> another oxymoronic term. Uh, but that's what, how he looked at North Korea. And let's put this in perspective. Uh, I was stationed in South Korea along the DMZ and 2nd Infantry Division in 1995. Kim Il-sung, Kim Il who was the grandfather, yep. in his entire tenure fired 16, uh, 15, I'm sorry, 15 uh, missiles. Uh, Kim Jong-il, the father, fired 16. Since 2011, Kim Jong-un has fired 83 missiles, 17 since Donald Trump was uh, came into office. So in the time of Donald Trump coming into office till now, he's fired more than his father and his grandfather in their entire tenure of uh, ruling there. You know, later on this month, there's going to be a movie that comes out called Dunkirk. And, you know, we were talking about history, how people, you know, don't understand history. If you can go back and think four to five years prior to Dunkirk happening, what was going on with Germany? They were violating every single resolution, every single bit of the Treaty of Versailles. They were recreating their military, their war machine. They were testing out their new uh, tenets of warfare during the Spanish Civil War. Western civilization, Western leaders said nothing. Adolf Hitler decided that he was going to have his first incursion. He was going to try to retake the Rhineland. And when he and the general said, if you do that, they're going to come down on us. No one said a thing. His general said that to him. Absolutely. No one said a thing. And then the next thing it became, I want the Sudetenland, because there were ethnic Germans that were there. Western civil said, fine. And Neville Chamberlain, of course, with the Munich Accords, went over and signed, you know, there be peace in our time, the document with Herr Hitler. And, of course, the next thing you know, the Polish people will remember this. The Blitzkrieg started. Uh, they were the direct uh, uh, recipients of that new style of warfare. This is where we are today. We're sitting back and we're watching a sociopath, a psychopath, do the exact same thing, and we're just afraid to take any type of action. We continue to hear people say, yeah, but if we do that, it's going to start a war. And Well, that's what Neville Chamberlain was saying. The, and, and all of these leaders were so afraid of another World War I that they allowed World War II to happen. So this is not about whether they can actually land a missile here in the continental United States of America. You all are familiar with the electromagnetic pulse thing. Uh, if you detonate a nuclear device at a certain altitude, everything within line of sight is fried, it's cooked, it's out. This is something that the Iranians had in their national security strategy two or three years ago. So they are pursuing this. North Korea is working on the delivery means. The Iranians are working on the nuclear technology. In 2007, when the Israelis struck a nuclear facility in Syria, mm -hmm. It was very similar to the North Korean facility at Yongbyon, and there were North Korean advisors that were there in Syria. You never heard a peep about it because the Israelis knew exactly what they did and why they struck it. So we can sit around and continue to have this strategic patience. You know, China's not going to help us. China is more, so, more than happy to see North Korea take up our time because China is developing their economic Silk Road. 
that yep. goes from the Middle East all the way into China. They are continuing to develop those islands that are in the South China Sea where 35 to 40% of global trade transits through that uh, piece of water. They are putting surface-to-ship missiles on these islands. So while you know we're you know running around and worrying about North Korea, they're continuing to build their maritime capability and capacity. They're continuing to build their economic viability. So some action has to be taken. Economic sanctions are not going to do a doggone thing with North Korea because he doesn't care about his own people. It, it, it is either going to implode or explode, and we need to decide right now, you know, which, which one it's going to be. Uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, strategic patience might work with some things. Like, for instance, if Mexico has a trade policy we don't like, let's have some strategic patience and mm-hmm. work through that issue. All strategic patience did with Hitler was give him time yeah. to get worse right. and worse and more powerful and more powerful. And that's effectively what we've been doing with North Korea the last 15 years is we've tried deals and agreements and, and uh, uh, treaties and whatnot, and none of it's going to work. This is a man who is crazy. And, we're, you know, I don't want to go to war. I've been in combat. I don't want us to have to go back. But I think we're going to have to make some really tough decisions here pretty soon about if we don't do X, Y, and Z now, we're going to have to do 10 times more of that in 10, 15, 20 years. And that it's a tough decision, but we have to be decisive. And it may not be 10 years. It may be in a year or two. Right. Yeah. Because when you have someone that is unpredictable as he is, and let's, let's understand something, that we are looking at the formulation of a new 21st century axis between Russia, China, Iran, yeah. and North Korea. Right. And those are nation states. We haven't even talked about the global Islamic Jihad and and if they got, you know, some of this technology as well, what, what they would do. So it is a time to, to take action. This is something that's going to be very, very critical for the Trump administration, just the same as President Bush never thought that in his first, what, nine months that he would have those airplanes flying into the World Trade Towers and also into the Pentagon. Yeah, I want to mention here that our, our um, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson was quoted just this past Friday talking about the situation with North Korea, and he said there would not be very many good options left on North Korea if peaceful pressure, if the peaceful pressure campaign of the U.S. has been pushing to conserve to curb Pyongyang's nuclear and missile programs, and if they fail, so he's acknowledging we don't have many other steps between. We can try economic sanctions. You're saying that's not going to work, mm-hmm. and I would agree because I, I think that historically we have shown we have known by what we can observe about North Korea from our satellite uh, imagery that the people that the people are starving. The oh, yeah. I mean, the nation that they don't have electricity. And the only if place- you look at that satellite imagery of the Korean yeah. Peninsula at night. I mean, you see all kind of lights south of the DMZ, nothing north of the DMZ. And and so we're going to have to make that very important decision because I think just the same as in the mid to late 1930s, if the world leaders had taken an action then, we would have saved millions of lives yes. early on. So that's the calculation we have to look at now. Okay, so this is what I want to get with you on. So. I'm not disagreeing. I mean, I, I'm sadly, I'm agreeing that I don't think economic sanctions are going to get us there, going to solve the problem with North Korea. But who in the region, because you mentioned this growing axis, Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, who was the fifth one you said? No, that, then the global Islamic Jihad. Okay. But Syria. Those are the four. Syria. Well, okay. Syria is a, a client state, but still, the the four major ones are Russia, China, Iran, and North okay. Korea. Okay. So yeah. who would be imp- inspired who would be wanting? I mean, it seems to me that North Korea's leader Kim Jong Un is so irrational that nobody around him should actually feel that safe. There's all. I mean, no one really wants a crazy guy with nuclear weapons. So, who is likely to be our, our allies? Well, without a doubt, you have Japan. 
Uh, I, I know that everyone talks about the one China policy. It's about time that we say, look, you're not going to dictate to us who we can talk to. The definition of insanity is continue to do the exact same <laughs> thing and think you're going to get different results. So we should talk more to the uh, Taiwanese and, and their leader there. We need to look at Vietnam. Vietnam and China have had a, a centuries-old angst that we can capitalize upon. And if people talk about, you know, we once had to fight there, you know, we once fought the Germans and the Japanese as well. So there are many countries within that Pacific Rim. Japan is another one. The most important person is the president, the new president of South, South Korea, Korea, President Moon, that we got to get him to understand. You can't talk to Kim Well, he was recently saying he was going to try to talk to him, right? Wasn't that? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You can't. What, what, what are you going to discuss? Okay, this is alarming, but true. Okay, well, you know, I, what I wanted to be able to talk about tonight, and we're getting around to it very well, is the situation in North Korea. We can talk about many, many policies that matter in America, and, and there's dozens of them that matter. will make America great and stronger. But this is kind of, right now, it's emerged as, the, as a threat equal to seriousness with, as we have with Islamic aggression. Um, we're about out of time here. I'm sad to report. Actually, we have 45 seconds, so... The, the North Korea is pretty much a, a, a much of a challenge to us right now, an you immediate have to have, challenge. You have to have a credible military option, a credible military deterrent. Uh, and the only thing sometimes that stops a bully is when you hit him in the nose. Okay, I'd love to know how we're going to do that. I, I seriously, I wonder well, if we Well, can... we could spend a, uh, an entire hour, but the most important thing is the artillery tubes that they have and those hardened sites in the mountains there yeah. in North Korea that are aimed you know, towards Seoul and Seoul's under that. That's why you have to have that protective shield. That's why you need the THAAD defense system. And we need to start looking at taking out some of those missile sites. So we're going to pair, uh, pair, uh, shoot Lieutenant Colonel into North Korea is what I think I heard him volunteer. <laughs> and I think, I think Wade was actually volunteering to, go, to be part of the forest, right? Sure, I'll carry his ammo. <laughs> okay, give him instructions. All right. Well, we are speaking tonight with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Cannot thank you enough for joining us tonight. Love, love, love having you here. And we come back after the break. We're going to talk, talk more about this, so don't go away. We'll talk to you after the break. Wade Miller, Lori Medina, and America Can We Talk. 